Hello, everybody, and welcome to... Sharing Everything. Was I supposed to say that? No. Nope. <laughs> okay. And uh, I'm your host, Joe Balecki, with your other host... I'm Katie Balecki. Uh, who is currently dressed as a mermaid. Uh, not dressed as. I have a mermaid blanket. That's, that's what it is. Yes. And um, we... This is the show where we watch movies mm -hmm. that the other person has seen mm -hmm. that we have not seen. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> no. What? One person watches a movie that the other person has seen that they have not seen. Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm confused. Right? Why does this sound wrong? Okay. So we take turns picking movies that we have seen that our spouse has not seen. And then we watch them together. Yes. I don't know why the way you sounded sounded wrong. <laughs> I don't know. We picked a really weird thing to to do like a one sentence description of because there there has to be some of that like person A has seen the yes. thing, person B has not. A and B watch thing together and then discuss it. Yep. What did we watch today? We watched. Well, it wasn't today. <laughs> Full nope. disclosure. Uh, it was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's that movie about? Well, basically, it's about a bunch of British criminals mm -hmm. doing criminal activities. Mm -hmm. Such as? Um, well, I guess the main storyline is there are these four friends who put some money together for one of them to go play poker, I think it was. Was that what they were playing? Yeah, some sort of three-card draw <laughs> poker thing. With some shady dude who owns, like, a porn shop or something. Mm-hmm. And he loses, kind of. He bets money he didn't have because the guy told him he had to. Mm -hmm. um, and then he ends up losing all his money and the criminal, the other, the big criminal guy says, you have, like, what, one week to get me 500,000 pounds or whatever? Mm -hmm. And he said, your friends have to help you too because they all put this money in. And the only reason why you're, you were able to bet in the first place because of them. So you all have to get me this money or you lose your fingers and one of the people's dads loses his business. Yeah. The the card shark who was playing poker, his dad owns a bar. Oh, okay. So your dad's bar. Yes. And so that's like one group of people. That's their mission throughout the movie is they're trying to find figure out ways to get 500,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, there are other various criminal groups in the movie. There's like a group of weed growers um, who end up getting all their stuff stolen. Mm -hmm. By? Uh, so many British the, people. The original group's neighbors. Yes, who are another criminal group. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be the most scary violent of the bunch. But they were still also kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. So, everybody in this movie was dumb. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, so they were trying to... What were they trying to do? Who? The people who stole money from the weed guys. Was that all they were trying to do? Yeah, they were just robbing, okay. robbing the weed growers. Yeah. Um, and then, at some point, the group of four guys who were trying to get money to pay back the big guy... Mm -hmm. um, they came into possession of, like, antique guns, mm -hmm. which I guess the funny part is that those guns were worth enough to have 
paid that guy back, mm-hmm. but instead they used those funny antique guns to try to pull off more crimes mm-hmm. to pay the to, guy back. To rob the people who were robbing the wheat growers. Yeah. Whose yeah. guns they were original? No. The guns belonged to some old people who two dudes who were uninvolved in the other crimes yeah. stole, and then some guy... This because is what, okay. because the, the porn shop guy wanted the guns. Yes. So he... He had his lackey hire people Mm -hmm. to go steal those guns, but they ended up selling them to the pawn shop guy, who is the friends of our heroes, who bought them. Yes. It's kind of convoluted, but yes. It's a comedy of errors. I suppose that's true, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, in the end, all of the stories combine, Mm -hmm. and hilarity ensues. And, um, they, basically everybody dies except for our four heroes. Yep. Uh, and because of that, they eventually find out that the guns are antiques and very, very expensive because they ended up with no money. Mm-hmm. But they find this only after they tell one of their guys to go dispose of the guns because those guns are the only things that link them to all those murders Mm -hmm. so he is in the process of destroying them when they go to try to find him and then the movie ends and we don't know if he actually dropped the guns in the river or not yep that's the basics so katie Mm -hmm. what do you think of this movie um I liked it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I got pretty lost sometimes. Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on in this yeah. movie. It was just nonstop hijinks all the time. Um, I enjoyed it. There were there is an uh, I really like Vinnie Jones. He was one of the criminals. He's in this movie. Um, I I don't know how I feel about movies that every single character is a criminal because like we've talked about this before like how am i supposed to root for them when they're doing bad things because they're they're charming and kind of naive and they're only really doing petty crimes they're just getting by and they're you know they're sort of like oliver twist type characters where yeah no they're they're robbing people and they're they're selling people counterfeit jewelry at the beginning and Mm-hmm. whatever else but they're not trying to hurt anybody they're just lazy dudes who want to make some money and go to the pub i guess yeah yeah so i liked it it was hard to follow sometimes um i didn't know who really who anybody was it was kind of difficult because you're supposed to be keeping track of like four different groups of criminals and they're all just kind of like 30-year-old white British dudes, and you're just kind of like... Except for the one black dude. Yeah, and you're just kind of like, who are these people? But, yeah. It was good. It was fun. I, I would say also that the accent makes things hard, mm-hmm. too. That's true. Especially when the narrator's like, Oi! Yeah. <laughs> he, he bludgeoned upside the, the, the williker, and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> I didn't catch what that meant at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're... But I, I don't know if this was initially for American audiences being so, so British. Yeah, I don't know. But it ends up 
Guy Ritchie also directed the movie Snatched, which has a character played by Brad Pitt, I want to say, who's a pikey, which is some sort of British, half-gypsy, half-British, redneck type of dude who speaks in an accent so thick that nobody can understand him. What? Yeah, it's pretty great. Okay. Um... So as as a creative person and and a writer person, mm-hmm. how do how do you like movies with crazy intersecting parallel storylines? Um, I have always kind of been a fan of those type of movies. Um, like the one that always jumps in my head, although it's not the most creative, is Love Actually. Mm-hmm. It's got you know just a bunch a bunch a bunch of different storylines and you're kind of like are these people related are they not related and then you find out that some of them have interweaving storylines um i think when done well like that's a very interesting way to tell a movie because you're able to focus on more people without really taking away from the minutia of everybody's story mm-hmm. um so i liked it I liked that aspect of it, but I just wish, like, I felt like it was missing something for me to both separate everyone and tie them all together. Like, I know they were all tied together because they were all criminals, and they were all sort of involved in the same crime somehow. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, like, it didn't feel like a rewarding type of, oh, so these people are all connected kind of thing that a lot of these other kind of movies do. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of movies like, um, we just watched Girl on the Train. Yeah. Where there was, at the beginning you think that this drunk girl is just spying on all these people and, and find out that, like, oh yes, they are involved with each other in, in all these ways. And sometimes that, that sometimes that works for me and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just feels like the writer says, here are four characters, I'm going to make them different, and by the end I'm going to have to figure out a way to make them involved with each other. Mm-hmm. And that can generally involve just throwing things at you or over-relying on an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. to be like, oh, no, they actually were involved, it just so happened that you know, she wasn't correct at, with the things that she told you in the narration at the beginning, mm-hmm. which can feel lazy. Yeah. Like, if I believe that the character's an unreliable narrator, then it's like, oh, oh, crazy. Mm-hmm. Or, or in the case of Girl on the Train, she's drunk all the time, so her memories are super fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But with this movie, it's, it's intersecting storylines, but it's not a mystery how they're connected. You yeah. know how they're connected, you're just kind of waiting to see what happens next. So inse- instead of it feeling like a mystery, it feels just like a straight-up comedy. Mm-hmm. It, it almost feels like an expanded Three Stooges bit where it's like the guy with the with the long like mm-hmm. beam that he's carrying and he, he's, he's swinging it, not paying attention, and other people are ducking and, and getting hit in the head. It's kind of one of those things. It, it feels very like old-school slapstick, mm-hmm. just expanded out to all these different groups of people. And I think that that's why I liked it, because there was no twist that made me feel like the writer was smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes in, in movies like Girl on the Train, and that's just the most recent one, which is why mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mentioning it, it can just feel like the writer wants to 
point at you and say, look how smart I am. Gone Girl kind of felt like that, too. Yeah. Where it feels like Jillian Flynn didn't necessarily start at the end, but started at the beginning and then tried to, like, discovery write her way out. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like with a movie like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, you have to really, really plan out the movie. You have to plot it out hardcore before you write it. Mm-hmm. Which is, as a person who doesn't write that way, something that's interesting to watch because it's so different, mm-hmm. but also something that I thoroughly enjoy. Because I know you as a writer, you're a discovery writer mostly. Yeah. I try to plan things out and then I'm like, this isn't going to work. And then I just sort of go with the flow, mm-hmm. see what happens. Um, yeah. That sort of intertwining storyline thing it i feel like it lends itself the best to like mystery type movies Mm -hmm. um just because it does leave room for that twist um and so like you said there was no twist in this movie i guess the only thing maybe just because i was having a hard time following the movie at times but the thing that sort of felt like a twist to me was that there is this sort of go-between guy who was involved in all of these criminal groups or whatever like see like it felt like he was unaware that they were all doing what they were doing the pawn shop guy yeah he, yeah yeah no he just runs the pawn shop okay and he he's the crux of all this mayhem yeah and he's, it's just so unwitting I like I like this movie because it kind of feels like the anti Ocean's Eleven. I haven't seen that. I have no you idea. Seen Ocean's no. Eleven? You haven't seen any of the Ocean's movies? No. Oh, well they're ensemble movies where they're robbing casinos in Vegas, so it's supposed to be really hard. So you have to get in Ocean's Eleven it's eleven people, and mm-hmm. Ocean's twelve, twelve people, and Ocean's thirteen it's thirteen people. Anyway, and and they plan everything out. Right? So it's, mm-hmm. we have this acrobat guy, and he's going to pack himself into a trash can, and the trash can's going to get wheeled into this room where all the trash cans, so he's going to pop out and go and open this door for the other guy, and so everybody has to be super in sync with each other. This is the the opposite of that, where it's, okay, one simple job. We just need to listen to where these guys say they're going to do the thing, and then, you know, oh, we just have to play cards, and then yeah. win some car- cards, because he's good at cards, and then we're going to win some money. Oh, crap, that didn't work. Okay, well, we got to get this money now, because the stakes are higher, and the stakes keep getting higher, and they keep screwing up, and they keep screwing up, and at the end, everything's fine, and they didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... <sighs> it's, it kind of feels like Mr. Magoo. Yeah, it's just sort of, they fall into good luck. Mm-hmm. They have bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. All of a sudden, okay, everything's fine. Um, sort of you listening or listening to you talk about the plot of the Ocean Eleven movie or whatever, or uh, is reminding me of um, Now You See Me. Those mm-hmm. magicians who are pulling yeah. off that heist. It's, it's very much the same sort of thing. I feel like this is going to sound really weird, and I don't endorse any type of criminal activity, but I feel like I have more respect for the type of criminals who, like, plan stuff out like (laughs) that, just because it's more interesting to watch in a movie than, like, oh, you know, we're going to go play cards and lose and then have to figure out how to get out of it, instead of, like, people using their intelligence to solve a problem they have sort of thing. Sure, I understand that. I, I also like those. I feel like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels feels a lot more satisfying because of the bumbling nature of mm-hmm. things. Whereas 
a movie like the Oceans movies or the Now You See Me movies or like the Italian Job or Hudson Hawk or um, maybe Hudson Hawk is what I'm thinking of. Any of those movies where it's people who are good at their jobs and they're good at these bank heists or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. There, there always ends up being a twist in the middle. And the twist is always, oh, no, we didn't account for this or something went wrong. I mean, even in the Saw movies, mm-hmm. in the later Saw that's movies, that's so, sort of what's happening yeah. as we get to Saw 5 and 6. is oh, I didn't kill the people I needed to kill. Mm-hmm. And so the tension comes from that twist. I like how in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and, and Snatched and really any of these sort of like Guy Ritchie type movies where there's there's a lot more than just like the one twist mm-hmm. that sets everything going wrong and everything's just constantly going wrong. Yeah. In this movie though, like I didn't get the sense of tension with things going wrong and i maybe that's just because i couldn't understand what they were saying sometimes so i don't know if they're like oh we have oh sorry we have to go kill that guy now because he did this and like oh no we're gonna go do whatever but it just this movie felt very go 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 all the time Mm -hmm. without any of the you know the variation and tension at all Mm -hmm. it sort of feels like there's the idea in, in noir films where you take a character who's down and you just keep pushing them down. I feel like this is kind of like that, where, again, they just needed to do a simple thing, and mm-hmm. then it got more complicated, and then it got more complicated. I also like how in this movie, I feel like they succeed because they're so bumbling, where mm-hmm. if they had taken the, the time to think things out more clearly, it probably would have ended up going worse for them. You think so? Yeah, I feel like they survived in a lot of the situations where they survived because they weren't smart enough to be where you would think someone would need to be in these situations. Um, And that ends up causing everybody else to end up killing each other or themselves or whatever because they're expecting all of these things to be happening because they're hardened criminals so they expect that oh well the person on the other side of the door is my enemy and oh nope it's not it's the dude who's working for you mm-hmm. and i feel like that's just good comedy because comedy says here's your expectations and now i'm not going to do what your expectations are which is why a lot of comedy right now is so bad mm-hmm. because it's just telling the same joke over and over a joke is only funny a couple of times yeah you know because after you know what the joke is, you're fun. You find it funny because the joke is clever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of jokes right now just aren't clever. I mean, a lot of like Amy Schumer comedy, right, is mm-hmm. is just like here's a setup, and the punchline is my vagina. Yeah. Or I mean, you could say the same thing about like the the later scary movie movies Mm -hmm. where it's oh i've seen this joke before and not only do i know what the joke is the jokes are getting dumber Mm -hmm. and i feel like this is a very smart comedy movie because it it presents itself as a comedy movie but it doesn't try to convince you that it's a comedy movie does that make sense like it looks gritty Mm -hmm. it's all brown Mm -hmm. the cinematography is all brown it looks like it could very easily have been shot on very early digital stuff and so it presents itself like a gritty crime thriller 
and and fools you into thinking that it's a comedy. Yeah. I I don't know. I didn't really get the comedy parts of it. Like I knew and I could appreciate that the people individually had like their quirks and they were kind of, all kind of dumb and that was sort of funny, but I didn't really think of it in terms of being a comedy movie. To me it was more just a crime movie, I guess. Hmm. I think the funny part is again like the the farcical nature of it, the bumblingness. And so it's I think it's weird because it's low comedy presented in a high comedy sort of way where it's here's all these intersecting storylines and everything's connected and everything's complicated, but the jokes end up being oh and they got shot. Yeah. That's it. I don't think there were any women in this movie. I think you are correct about that. Oh, there's the one who came into the weed house and sort of just slept on the couch and then ended up killing that guy. Oh, yeah, the girlfriend of one of the the weed guys. That was literally the... Oh, and there's a woman at the poker game. Oh, sure. There might have been a woman or two in the pub, but yeah, it it was very much like a man's movie. Yes, this definitely felt like a man's movie to me. I was like, they're all guys, like... What? I don't know. I guess that's probably another reason why I like it, because there's that element of hooliganism that is enticing, but not practical. Mm. That idea that, oh yeah, I just got four buddies, and my dad owns a pub, and we're going to just go scam some people out of some money so that we can buy some food and some beer, and that's that's just what we're going to do, and we spend a lot of time slacking off, and mm-hmm. just being a jack the lad. Which, I don't know. I don't know. Could you do... I mean, you could. And I think they are. I think they're making an all-female Ocean's Eleven movie. I think I heard that, too. Can I say just a very off-topic tangent... Bring it on. ...about all-female movies? Mm-hmm. Have you heard the most recent movie they're trying to make an all-female version of? What? The Lord of the Flies. Really? The entire point of that movie is that... Men are so close to becoming savages all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to say, what would happen if a, what was it, a plane of girls cl- crashed on this island? What would happen? Literally nothing would happen. They would either starve to death or they would find a way to get off the island. They would not kill each other. Their periods would sink up. And in those five days when they were all <laughs> finally sink, the wild boars from the forest would come and eat them if they smelled <laughs> the blood. Anyway. Or, I don't know, like... I feel like I feel like during exploitation, like grindhouse cinema and mm-hmm. and whatever that was the '60s. I feel like there were Lord of the Fli- all female Lord of the Flies movies, and they all just ended up doing it. Like they ended yeah. up just being like, "Oh, we're all ladies, and oh, we finally escaped men, and we can be free, and oh, boobs." Also, anyway, I just think it's dumb that somebody thought. It was a good idea to take a movie about the dangers of toxic masculinity and say, oh, but let's make them girls so we can be cool with the times. <sighs> that's, that's the interesting thing about, about these, these all-female movies is that everyone always says, oh, finally, mm-hmm. girls have this to look up to. Where, I mean, Mr. Plankett made, made the point in the, in the Ghostbusters review that he did where 
the male Ghostbusters are not people that yeah. children should be looking up to. <laughs> they're they're drunk scammers. It's like it's like lock stock and two smoking barrels. Like I look up to these guys in the same way that I, I look up to I don't know, like Al Pacino. Not Al Pacino, Scarface. Okay. You know, or 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 like the Godfather or or Steve Van Zandt's character in in Lilyhammer. Like I look up to these people in that it's, or like any Clint Eastwood character in a western where it's like, oh man, like look how cool these guys are. It's not anything I would actually aspire to be. Yeah. More than just in a very loose concept, mm-hmm. right? So just because we have so many movies starring men that are about men and men doing things doesn't necessarily mean that all of these men are supposed to be heroes to young boys. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you want to make a movie that has female characters for little girls to look up to, please do. Mm-hmm. But don't make it out of a movie that is a popular movie just because it's a popular movie. Like, that feels so gross, you know? It feels yeah. so gross. It's kind of like... I mean, there's lots of, like, tiny, like, low-budget, like, Christian movies, too, that are essentially, like, parodies or, like, the Christian version of name popular movie. And, I don't know, like, that just feels gross, mm-hmm. you know? Like, just just make a good movie. I feel like I say this every couple of episodes. Just make a good movie! Mm-hmm. Just... And then it'll be good, and people will see it, and it will make money, and it'll be loved for generations, like all of these other good movies. Don't just rip off a movie that is already made, and this doesn't even go for movies with gender-flipped casts. Just all these remakes and everything, and and sequels and prequels and soft reboots. Just make a new movie. Mm -hmm. Just make a good movie. And then I'll go see it, and I'll love it, and it'll be good. I agree. If you're going to be lazy, just make a biopic about an interesting person. You know, make the founder. Like, the movie was good. Yep. It was a good movie. Have not eaten at McDonald's since seeing it. (laughs) Probably never will again. So, I don't know. Let's, so let's talk about you as a woman. Woman! Yes, that's me. Hello. That's that's you. What do you like would you be interested in a movie like this if it catered to your sensibilities more and what would that movie look like well um i think i would be interested um or more interested because i don't think we're making the point that you don't like this movie no i did not dislike this movie um i think I don't know. It's kind of hard to say what that would look like. Obviously, there would be more female characters in prominent roles. Um, There would be... To me, I think there would have to be more, like, intelligence behind what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I say that, and then I keep thinking of Thelma and Louise, which I loved. Okay. So, I think it would... So, so, Thelma and Louise kind of has that same... Not not nearly so much, but it has that element of there's two kind of bumbling people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't end up as as happily as as Jason Statham and his pals. Yeah, um, I guess it would have to. 
I don't know. In this particular movie, there was, like I said, there was no, to me, no tension or there was tension, but there's no variation in tension. So it was all everything all the time. Mm -hmm. I prefer my movies to have more of like a, I guess, conventional like story arc, Mm -hmm. story structure. Um, So I guess something like that, um, probably with more like, I guess more storylines because like this entire movie was about these guys trying to get the money for this mm-hmm. thing so like just you know like lesser storylines or something i don't know i just like my movies to feel more like full i guess hmm. and this movie felt like full of people mm-hmm. people i couldn't understand <laughs> criminals but like it didn't feel full in terms of story for me i guess hmm. i'm a very character driven person i guess yeah and I guess there isn't necessarily a lot of character because there's a lot of characters where it's, this is their one thing. We have the mm-hmm. card shark guy and we have the fast talking guy and we have the guy who's a hitman and loves his son and we have the guy who's a big old hitman. We got the guy who's a porn guy and we got the pawn shop guy and we got the weed guys. I and guess that's, that's all they are. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yes, that is all that they are. They're just archetypes. Mm-hmm. So I keep I keep imagining that there is a movie that's sort of farcical like this, starring mostly women, but I keep imagining that it like takes place in a mall. In a mall, really? Like in a mall, where it's just like a a bunch of groups of girls trying to get like a necklace or something. There's okay, so there's the bling ring, mm-hmm. which is based on a crime that actually happened with a bunch of teenagers in Hollywood. I think like in the early two thousands. It's a movie starring Emma Watson. And then there's um, another movie that came out on Netflix recently that I have not seen. But it's <laughs> Joe just pulled a mouse out from under him, like a computer mouse. And well, <laughs> interesting. Um, there's one on Netflix. It's called Coin Heist, I think. I haven't seen it. Okay. But that seems to be something like that as well. And then, for some reason, I keep thinking of Spring Breakers too. Oh. <laughs> Which is very, very loosely related to this type of movie, but... I mean, it, it does have that same sort of no consequences vibe to it, yeah. right? Where it's just a bunch of bunch of spoiled girls who go off and do a bunch of spoiled girl things. And then, you know, aside from aside from Cotty, mm-hmm. you know, get off scot-free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. You want to read some some trivia? You bet I do. Okay. Brought to you by IMDb. Who don't sponsor us or give us any money. We're live, loud, and independent. <laughs> this is what we are. We sure are. We sure are. So yes, this movie had Jason Fleming. It had Jason Statham in it as well. Who, uh... This was Jason Statham's first movie, I believe. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, the scene where Nick the Greek breaks the glass in the coffee table was not in the original script. It was, in fact, an accident that happened during filming and was written in by Guy Ritchie as an afterthought. I dig it. I'm getting an ad about the two-part season finale of Twin Peaks <laughs> for tonight. The movie was dedicated to Lenny McLean, who played Barry the Baptist. He died of cancer exactly one month before the movie's debut. Aw, Barry. 
Jason Statham has in real life worked as a street vendor similar to the character he plays in the opening of this movie. <laughs> On Vinnie Jones's first day of filming, he had just been released from police custody. He had been arrested for beating up his neighbor. Oh my god, I love Vinnie Jones. <laughs> what, is, what else is he in? Um, he was in Gallivant. And he was also and She's the Man. Those are the two things oh, I know him most from. was he in Gallivant? He was um, the king's right-hand dude at the beginning. Oh, my God, it was You him. didn't realize it's who it was? No. Oh. White men kind of all look the same to me. <laughs> Lenny McLean was a famous bare-knuckle boxer before he became an actor. Hmm. That's another thing about Britain. Bare-knuckle boxing is still a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which, I don't, I don't let's get Floyd Mayweather to go do some bare-knuckle bare boxing. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yes, this was Jason Statham's film debut, and this was also the film debut of Vinnie Jones. Hmm. The football commentary in the pub men, uh, mentions both writer, director Guy Ritchie, and producer Matthew Vaughn as players. Okay. What's so funny? I'm still laughing about the computer mouse. Oh. <laughs> The ending to the film was altered sometime after filming had been completed, which is why Thomas wearing a woolen cap pulled down low, Jason Fleming had grown his hair in the intervening period, and did not want to shave it short again. Hmm. See also goofs. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize it either, because they covered it with a hat. Mm-hmm. Lenny McLean was ill during filming with what he believed was the flu. After filming had ended, he was hospitalized and initially told that he had pleurisy. Plural. What's the word? Um, Pleurisy? Okay. However, tests revealed that he had lung cancer, which had metastasized to his brain. Oh my god. Oh, that's awful. Yep. Universal healthcare. Yep. Well, he died. I know, but that's why we need it. But, I mean, he was in a country that had it. And he died. Oh, yeah. Well, take advantage of it. Go to the doctor. Yeah. The character of Big Chris was allegedly based on real-life ex-gangster Dave Courtney. The F-word is used 125 times. The scene where Ed forgot to bring the guns to the robbery was added because someone forgot to bring the props to the set. (laughs) That's funny. Of the 44 speaking parts in the film, 17 were played by people who had never acted before. Holy cow, 44 people had speaking roles in this movie. That seems like a lot. And almost half of them had never done this before. Well, I couldn't tell which was which, so good on them. Yeah. When Nick the Greek and Tom are haggling over the price of the stereo, Nick says, All right, all right, keep your Allens on. The Allens in question is Cockney rhyming slang short for Alan Wicker. Alan Wicker equals Nickers. Wow, British people are weird. Yeah. Why? That's too much thinking. How does language evolve like that? I don't know. (laughs) Who's Alan Wicker? (laughs) I don't know. And why do people think of knickers when they think of Alan Wicker? I don't know. Maybe he wore funny knickers. Cameo. Matthew Vaughn, the film's producer, appears as a yuppie dragged out of the car by dog at the end. Oh, yeah. The film was having trouble finding an American distributor, and Trudy Styler called an acquaintance of hers. Tom Cruise. He attended a screening and loved the film. Matthew Vaughn later called... Or later recalled, it was hysterical. He had all these mid-level executives sitting there, and Cruz walked in. He saw uh, them all sit up and pay attention, all on um, all getting on their phones, and suddenly all these senior executives started joining the screening. At the end, Tom got up in front of everybody and said, this is the best movie I've seen in years. You guys would be fools not to buy it. Huh. So shout out to Tom Cruise. Tommy Cruise. Tommy C. 
The music that plays just before Hatchet Harry shoots Gary with the antique shotgun is from For a Few Dollars More. It's from a pocket watch that Del Indio would play, and when the music stopped, he would draw and shoot somebody. But I've not seen For a Few Dollars More, so that doesn't help. Body count? You want to guess? 22. 16. Oh, all right. Cameo. Tim Maurice Jones, the film's cinematographer, appears as the man being drowned by Barry the Baptist. (laughs) The film uses many shades of yellow, brown, and gray, as if the color film stock were old and weathered. Although, it doesn't seem like they've treated the film, but just digitally turned all the hues orange. To me, at least. It felt very, like, digitally done, Mm -hmm. and and not necessarily so naturally. But, good try. (laughs) Actually, while we were watching it, I was like, I don't remember the film being this ugly. Oh, really? I really don't. Huh. But I think the first time I watched it, I watched it, like, in bed on my tablet. Mm. According to the screenplay, Bacon got his name because as a youth he spent so much time in police stations, people thought he was one of them. (laughs) Madonna liked the film's soundtrack so much that she contacted Guy Ritchie and Matthew Vaughn and asked if her label, Maverick, could release the film's soundtrack in the U.S. Ironically, Ritchie said she whined and dined them in Hollywood a few times, but it was was Vaughn she was romantically interested in, not him. Aw, poor guy. Poor guy. Poor guy. <laughs> Big Chris is lying to Dog as he slams his head into the car door as never ever in my life has anyone been as fucking rude to me as you as you dog fucking bastard. Wow. It's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. The bar that is used as JD's bar in the movie is really called Vic Nailers. It is exactly as it is seen in the film, apart from the sign on the front, of course. It is situated in an area of London called Farringdon and is opposite the Old Smithfield Meat Market. Hmm. So, when we go to London, we can go to Vic Naylor's and have a pint. All right. Jason Fleming later claimed to have lost so much money while playing poker with the film's backers in between takes on set that he had to work on the four days of reshoots the film required for no fee. <laughs> Which is funny because losing... Mm-hmm. Money is kind of the point of this movie. In several scenes, Nick the Greek is referred to as Nick the Bubble. This is truncated Cockney rhyming slang. Oh my god. Bubble and squeak equals Greek. In the 1960 Peter Sellers film Two-Way Stretch, somebody refers to an unseen character, Nick the Bubble. No, that just that's wrong. That's not how you do things. Cockney people are weird. Yeah, they are. In Bothelby's catalog, in which the two antique shotguns are listed, is a parody of esteemed British auction house, Sotheby's. Sotheby's. Okay. (laughs) Trudy Styler was was the one who found the screenplay in the 1990s and was instrumental in getting it made. What she didn't love was the presentation. It wasn't an easy read, she said. It was a very long, rambling screenplay with terrible typos and really poorly presented. Her (laughs) husband, Sting, appears in the film. Sting? Sting. He was in the movie? Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Marcus was was originally cast as Tom, Hen- as Tom, hence why the characters constantly referred to as fat. Apparently Stephen Marcus was fat. Hmm. Ray Winstone was originally offered the role of Hatchet Harry. Um, according to Dexter Fletcher, 
while Eddie is a card shark, Nick Moran is a terrible card player in real life. <laughs> According to Nick Moran, a professional magician was initially hired to do close-up shootings of various gambler's tricks. As it turned out, however, that person's hands were larger by far than Moran's, and the footage was of no use. In the end, Moran resorted to learning a few tricks himself, coin flipping and card shuffling. These are the only ones that made it into the final cut. Hmm. Seems like that's something you would check before you would start filming. Yeah, you would think. Or maybe it was one of those things where they got him on set and they're like, well, we paid him for a day. Might as well film him for a day and see what we can do. Mm -hmm. The first scene shot was the game of three-card brag between Eddie and Hatchet Harry. Included among the 1001 movies you must see before you die. Edited by Steven Schneider, which we own. Mm -hmm. And so was the movie we watched last night. Halloween! Halloween! Guy Ritchie had the cast play football and divided them into five aside teams based on their characters. The four main lad, plus Sting, the dealers, the villains, etc. According to Dexter Fletcher, the winning team was Hatchet Harry's team, given that they had a professional footballer on their team, Vinnie Jones. Nicholas Rowe recalled that Robbie Williams visited the set and had a kickabout. A kickabout. We had a kickabout. <laughs> and the starting scene, Bacon says, Too late, too late will be the cry when the man with the bargains has passed you by. In elementary, Vinnie Jones delivers a version of Bacon's dialogue, Too late, too late will be the cry when the lady with the bag passes by to Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Ooh. So apparently Vinnie Jones was also in Sherlock Holmes. I don't think so. Was he? That's what it just said. Okay, I don't remember that. This is the second film that P.H. Moriarty and Sting both appeared in, the other being Quadrophenia, which is a rock opera by The Who. Mm. And my favorite Who album by a lot. <laughs> Model Laura Bailey film scenes as Eddie's love interest. This major plotline was only removed after filming had been completed. So there was going to be a lady. <laughs> well. So the film's not sexist. Just the editor. Okay. <laughs> um, even though they did not share a single scene in the film, 18 years later, P.H. Moriarty and Dexter Fletcher did share a brief scene in The Good, or in The Long Good Friday. Dexter was the little boy who was watching Bob Hoskins' car, and Moriarty was Razor's, Hoskins' driver, and henchman. Ellen Ford had a small part in the film as one of Hodgkin's henchmen. Hmm. Let's see. Production was completed in eight months. There's a lot of trivia for this. And I'm going to pass it. I want to see if there's any good quotes. Okay. Because this, this seems like a good, good one. I just remembered another movie that this movie kind of reminds me of. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it's just because there are British people in it. <laughs> okay. Racist. <laughs> that movie we watched, I think it was called Seven Psychopaths. Oh. Yeah, this sort of does have that same sort of farcy yeah. sort of thing, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also liked that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's sort the buyers from the spires, the needy from the greedy, and those who trust me from the ones who don't, because if you can't see value here today, you're not up here shopping. You're up here shoplifting. You see these goods, never seen daylight, moonlight, Israelite, fanny by the gaslight. Take a bag. Come on, take a bag. I took a bag home last night. Cost me a lot more than ten pound, I can tell you. 
Anyone like jewelry? Look at that one here. Handmade in Italy. Hand stolen in Stephanie. <laughs> it's as long as my arm. I wish it was as long as something else. Don't think because these boxes are sealed up, they're empty. The only man who sells empty boxes is the undertaker. And by the look of some of you today, I'd make a lot more money with me measuring tape. Here, one price, <laughs> ten pound. <laughs> that was like the first line, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Squeeze in if you can. Left right, left leg, right leg, your body will follow. They call it walking. You want one as well, darling? You do? That's it. They're waking up. Treat the wife. Treat somebody else's wife. It's a lot more fun if you don't get caught. Hold on. You want one as well? Okay, darling, show me a bit more life then. It's no good standing out here like one o'clock half struck. Buy them. You better buy them. These are not stolen. They just haven't been paid for and we can't get them again. They've changed the bloody locks. Here. One for you. It's no good coming back later when I've sold out. Too late, too late will be the cry when the man with the bargains has passed you by. If you got no money on you now, you'll be crying tears as big as October's cabbages. Wow. <laughs> Let's see what else. Hmm. Listen to this one then. <laughs> oh yeah, this is when they're trying to figure out what to do with the money. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out some words because it's 2017. Okay, good idea. Listen to this one then. You open a company called the Ars Ticklers Blank Fan Club. You take an advert in the back of the page of some gay mag advertising the latest in Ars intruding dildos. Sell it a bit with, or I don't know, does what no other dildo can do till now. Latest, greatest in sexual technology. Guaranteed results or money back. All that bullocks. These dills cost 25 each, a snip for all the pleasure they are going to give the recipients. They send a check to the company name, nothing offensive, or Bobby's Bits or something, for 25 You put these in the bank for two weeks and let them clear. Now this is the clever bit. You send back the checks for £25 from the real company name, Ars Tickler's Blank Fan Club, saying, Sorry, we couldn't get the supply from America. They have sold out. Now you see how many of these people cash these checks. Not a single soul, because who wants his bank manager to know he tickles arches, arses when he's not pl- paying in checks? So how long oh. do we have to wait for a return? Probably no more than four weeks. Well, what good is it if we need it in six? No, five days. Well, it was still a good idea. I could not follow that at all during the actual movie, but now that you said it, I understand. <laughs> good. There's a lot of these. Do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? Um, I thought it was... Oh, I guess when I said I couldn't really find anything funny about this movie, I was wrong. Because <laughs> I was just remembering the scenes when the hitman, Vinnie Jones, brought his son mm-hmm. around. And I just thought that was so funny. Especially the scene where they go in the tanning salon. Mm-hmm. And they he like lifts up the top of the tanning bed on the dude and says some things and then drops it back down on him and then the kid swears at him and the dad's like don't swear and the kid's like sorry and then he swears again i don't know i just think it's kind of funny how there can be a criminal like that who's so brutal and then he brings his child to the scene of the crime and then he's also like don't talk like that that's not how children how a child acts and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah I, i i like that I mean, it's more just simple comedy, right? It's just juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like that, too. The idea of, like, a single father mm-hmm. who loves his son like a father's supposed to, but is also this hardened criminal. Yeah. That's super funny to me. It's it's super endearing, so it makes me care about the character because he's trying to be a good dad, but he also is doing the only thing that he knows how to do, mm-hmm. which is beating the crap out of people. 
getting getting them to pay their debts or yeah. whatever. Yeah, but then like at the same time, like I've said before, I'm big into true crime and stuff, mm-hmm. and there have been like so many cases I've listened to on various podcasts, like where these nasty criminals will like take their children into their crimes and force their kids to do things and then they ruin their kids lives and so it's like it's weird to me that i think it's funny in this movie but when i hear about the things that happen in real life i'm like that's disgusting well it's because he's, he's being a dad yeah as, you know along with it he's not just bringing along an accomplice he's you know telling people not to swear in front of his son and slapping his kid when he when he swears and mm-hmm. you know is proud of him when it looks like his son is getting into the business too because it's not something that he has he sees as wrong it's just how he makes his money the same could be said for the people who do that in real life though yeah i don't know but this is a movie i know <laughs> Why did you choose to share this movie with me? Why did I choose to share this movie with you? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is one of those movies that's sort of a must-see movie. Mm. So I feel like generally if I don't have a specific thing based on something you've said in an episode or, or around, or I feel like it's good to, to share those movies with you. Where that way now you don't have to in the break room at work and have someone talking about this movie and saying oh what's that movie I've never seen that and they look at you with bugged out eyes and say you've never seen Lockstock or Two Smoking Barrels yep you have enlightened me mm-hmm. well someone's honking outside <laughs> well Katie let's yes. see if you were on a desert island what things from this film would you want I guess an antique gun Mm-hmm. um you wouldn't want any of the, like, modern guns that they had? Nope. I don't want an antique gun. Okay. Because then if somebody came to save me, I could say, here, have this extremely valuable antique gun as payment for saving me. Mm. Um, probably some cards. Mm-hmm. You know, keep myself occupied. And... I don't know. There really wasn't a lot of things in this movie. I mean, there were lots of dildos. <laughs> yeah. You could bring one of those. Eh. I mean, you're going to be stuck on a desert island. <laughs> um, I'd bring one. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know. They're really, ugh. There's like drugs and guns and... Yeah. That was about it. I don't want any of those things. Guns and drugs and drugs and guns. Haru. Haru. Shout out to Dropkick Murphys. I guess I'd bring a regular gun, too. Yeah. Two, <laughs> two guns? Two guns and some cards. Okay. Well, uh, what's, what's one of the other ones we usually ask you? Um, I would say if this was a horror movie, who do you think would die first? But a lot of people died in this movie. Yeah, and I don't know anybody's names. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, who do you think would be most likely to help you out of a jam? Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones. <laughs> I think it's I think it's true that Vinnie Jones is the real hero in this film. I'd say so. Mostly just because he's Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Okay. For next uh, episode, mm-hmm. I almost said next week. I want to go back and see how many times we say next week because this has <laughs> never been a weekly show. <laughs> At the very beginning, I think it was. Was it? Okay. We just have very busy actual lives. Yeah. Uh, what was the question? Next episode, what film will you be oh. sharing? 
I will be sharing with you a delightful Spanish language film called Instructions Not Included. Already, I feel like you're lying to me. Why? Instructions Not Included are English words. The title is something else. Let me see. Oh, that does remind me something something we should bring up. Okay. Is that Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels was remade. It was. Yeah. And uh, it looks nutty as all get out. And also not at all like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, it was remade as Fear Hera Fear Fear. What? And here is the uh, 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 the plot. Babu Rao, Raju, and Shyam are living happily after having risen from rags to riches. Still, money brings the joy of riches and with it the greed to take to make more money. And so, with a Don as an unknowing investor, Raju initiates a new game. Is this an Indian remake? It looks Indian. Hmm. Let's see. Yes. Country of origin, India. Release date 2006. The Spanish title of instructions not included is No se aceptan devoluciones. Mm. So, there you go. Well, there we go. I can't wait. Good. So, did we get any emails? We did not. You didn't get any emails? Nope. That's, that's not surprising. Email us at sharingeverythingshow at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us at noisemakerjoe.com slash sharingeverything. Um, yeah. You can find us on podcast places. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming you've already found us because you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Leave us a five-star review. Yeah, do that. And check out uh, my first ever published piece of <gasps> writing on faded-out.com. Yeah, do that too. It's really good. <laughs> Bye now. Oh, and until until next time, keep loving, keep sharing, and keep doing the third thing I normally say. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>